0: You're listening to Semper Reform on the Radio, where the Bible alone and the Bible in its entirety is applied to all of life. There are many people who do not want to hear the truth because it will shake up the false hope they have that they're going into heaven when indeed they are not.
1: christ is our king scripture is our law scripture and the laws of our country now
0: collide head-on now just to make it clear we don't bow down to caesar
1: so what does paul do when he gets his big shot at the areopagus watch him now, not only has Paul not compromised in order to get here, but once he's here, he says, Your worldview is wrong. Your philosophy is wrong. It's not just wrong, it's an affront to God. You ought to know better. You're in sin. But the good news is, God has extended to you an opportunity to repent.
0: All right. Well, thank you for joining us again today. My name is Tim. This is Semper Reformanda Radio. And just to remind everybody, we are part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. There are a couple couple of other podcasts out there to check out. You have uh, Slick Answers with Matt Slick, you have Conversations from the Porch with a whole bunch of guys, but I think uh, Christopher Fails and who's the other guy on there? What's his name? Paul Kaiser. Oh, Paul Kaiser. (laughs) Just kidding, Paul. Yeah, I I know you are. Uh, (laughs) Paul Kaiser's on there. And uh, you have the originals of Bible Thumping Wingnut Crew uh, with Tim and Lynn. So go ahead and check them out. And uh, in addition to that, we also have our co host here who does two other podcasts Memento Mori and Ask a Millennial Christian. So he has Facebook pages for those. So go ahead and join that. And Keep up with what Owen has going on. And Carlos, our other co-host, was not able to meet with us today, but that's fine. We're giving him the day off. So today we're going to be talking about, I think, a subject that I think probably most of the people within our circle would have a good understanding about. It seems like most of the people that are active on the Bible Thumping Wingnut page are pretty... Pretty solid theologically. And so I think that a lot of people once they hear that we're talking about this, might even have some things to add to what we might say. But we want to keep in mind that there are people out there who may be hearing this for the first time and maybe don't have that understanding. So that's that's really what we're trying to get to today. Uh, we are going to be talking about the prosperity gospel. And I think that a lot of people just automatically think, you know, the prosperity gospel, yeah, that's garbage. We already know about that. But there's some pretty big names out there that are pretty synonymous with the prosperity gospel. You have Kenneth Copeland. Um, you have uh, – who's that other guy, owned? Do you know uh, Jesse Duplantis? You have Creflo Dollar. You've, you've got all these guys out there that basically want you to give them, give them your money – sow a seed, and they will give you a blessing. I think the most ridiculous one that I've seen is Peter Popoff, who I think he does something like the green prosperity prayer handkerchief. You send in your money, and he will send you a green handkerchief, and you lay it over your items, and you pray, and you expect God to give you a blessing. These guys are pretty filthy rich. They are stinking rich. Uh, most, some of them, some of the big names like Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Copeland, they have million dollar jets, they have million dollar homes. And so what I wanna start us off with is Jesse Duplantis and Kenneth Copeland defending their use, their their need for a private jet airplane. And this really I think just highlights the absurdity of the prosperity gospel. So let's go ahead and play this clip. And then it's it's about five minutes long. And let's go ahead and play this clip. And then we will get into what the prosperity gospel is, what the gospel is, and why it's basically wrong. And um, we'll get into some scripture. All right.
2: <laughs> but first, before I read the scripture, Amos chapter six, Brother Copeland, I was flying home from a meeting and I had come out of a glorious meeting. I had just finished me and Cruffle Dollar were preaching. Had a glorious meeting. So I was, for lack of a better way to say it, I was spiritually high. I said, People were saved, touched, and blessed. Got in the plane that God so graciously gave us. We're flying home. As I was going home, the Lord, real quickly, he said, Jesse, do you like your plane? Now, you know, I thought that's an odd statement. He gave, I said, Well, certainly, Lord. He said, Do you really like it? And I thought, Well, yes, Lord. He said, Then he said this, So that's it? I didn't know how to handle that for me. I went, what? He said, you're going to let your faith stagnate? And when he said that, that shocked me. I went, whoa, wait. I literally unbuckled my seatbelt my plane. I stood up. My pilots looked around and said, do you need something? I said, no, no, I'm talking to God right now. And he went back to flying. I said, Lord, I don't think I was letting my faith stagnate. He said, so this is all I could ever do. I said, you want, you, you're trying to tell me something. He said, go to the book of Amos. So if you had the book of Amos,
3: I want to read May the scripture. May I interrupt now. you there yes, for sir. a second? Mm-hmm. You couldn't have done that on an airliner. No, sir. No way. Stand up and say, what did you say, Lord? No. Okay. No. Yeah. And the guy sitting over there saying, what the hell does he think he's doing? <laughs> you can't do <laughs> you that. You can't do that. No, no. This this is so important. And those of you that are that are just now coming into these things, um, in in the first place, Jesse and, 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 and I and, and others, Keith Moore and Creflo and all of us, they, the world is in such a shape, we can't get there without this. That's right. We've got to have this. We would have, the mess that the airlines are in today, I would have to stop. I'm being very conservative. At least seventy-five to eighty, more like ninety percent of mm-hmm. what we're doing, because you can't get there and from here. It's impossible. So we we ha- and and this was such a good illustration. I just mm-hmm. the, the Lord impressed me. That's why we're on that airplane. We can talk to oh, God. Oh, glory God! Can, it's we, true. We, it, it's, when I was flying for Oral Roberts, the uh, brother Deweese, my my mm-hmm. boss on the airplane, he said, "Now Kenneth, this is sanctuary." it protects the anointing on, on uh, uh, Roberts. Brother Roberts. And he said, you keep your mouth shut. Don't talk to him unless he talks. Because when he's on a meeting, he doesn't talk to anybody but God. Now, Oral used to fly airlines. Right. But it, even back mm-hmm. there then, man, mm-hmm. it, it got to the place where it was agitating his spirit, sure. people coming up to him. He right. had become famous and they wanted him to pray for him and right. all that. You, you can't. You you can't manage that today. Right. The, this dope-filled world. Right. And get in an air. Get in a long tube with a bunch of demons. Right. That's exactly the. And it's it's deadly. And and it works on your heart. It really does. So I, anyway, I I wanted to make that clear so the devil can't lie to you and say, see that them preachers spending yeah. all that money just, just fat cats riding around. No, we're not. We in business. To do listen. I could scratch my flying itch, with my little single-engine, open cockpit airplane. Right. I just come home and fly around in that and scratch my flying hits. That doesn't have nothing to do with that. But right. we're, in, we're, in, we're in soul business here. Right. We're, we got a dying world around us. Just, we got a dying nation around us. That's right. And we can't even get there on the airplane. You can't. Let, let me give you an example before
2: I read the Scripture. It, like, some people say, why do you need an airplane? It started out about a couple of weeks ago. I was in Fort Worth. I preached on a Sunday, a Friday night and a Saturday. I was in Fort Worth preaching for Jerry Savelle. Sunday morning, I was in Boston, Massachusetts. Monday, I was in New Orleans. Tuesday, I was in Chicago. Wednesday, I was in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thursday, I was in New Orleans. Friday, I was in San Antonio, Texas. Saturday, I was in New Orleans. Sunday, I was in another city. I actually have a Delta captain that lives close to my house. I brought him that schedule. I said, Can you fly this? He said, no, and I wouldn't. If <laughs> how, When do you sleep? We're about the phone. On the airplane. On the airplane is the only on. way I can grab it, see. Yeah. Now, when God is speaking this to me, he said, so this is all I could ever do. And I'm thinking, in, in myself, well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, this is a phenomenal aircraft you're giving us. He said, then when he said, you're going to let your faith stagnate, now that caught my attention. When God tells you your faith stagnate, yeah. you better start listening. Well, yeah. So, and I thought, stagnating? You can't stay here. here. You gotta do this or you're gonna do this. He said this. You're on control, cruise control. You're moving, but no longer by your power.
3: See? That's what the DVD is about. That's what that yeah, DVD yeah, is about. Yeah, he I said, see, You're moving, I but no it, longer Jesse. by
2: your I power. See it. You see, you're just doing this.
0: All right, we're we're gonna go ahead and cut them off there because that's just too much awful for one episode of Semper <laughs> Reformanda Radio. Um, so Owen, let me just ask, uh, you, you, haven't, you haven't gotten a chance to say anything yet. i let the heretics speak first. <laughs> um, what, what, are you, just, what are your first impressions of that?
1: Yeah, that makes me angry. It actually makes me really angry. It makes me angry that those are the people whose message is going out across the country. And it's very upsetting that there are a lot of people who this is what they hear and this is their, this is the Christianity that they see and they believe. Um, Christians, people who have who put their faith in God and, and and are in church, and and they think that this is true and correct. And it's also frustrating that people on the outside look in and say, oh, so this is what Christianity is about. So it's very it's very aggravating on multiple levels.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. You know, w- one of the things that uh, I, don't, I don't know if you picked up on it. One of the things that he said was, uh, We have a dying world out there. Basically, people that we need to reach. But then he doesn't want to get into a plane with anybody because the plane is full of demons. And, you know, I, I'm just thinking, we know, uh, you know, Andrew Rappaport's a pretty good example of not a demon, but of a Christian brother who travels a lot and he flies on planes and. Whenever I fly a plane, I always take my Bible with me. I don't know I don't I know a lot of other Christians you and it's just it's a good opportunity for me. Somebody's going to be trapped there and they're going to be sitting with me for about an hour. and if I have the opportunity, I'm not going to push it on them. but hey, if they're interested, I'll open up my Bible and share my faith with them. And so Kenneth Copeland was the one who said that the plane is full of demons. And this is why he needs to, to to have a personal airplane so that he can pray one-on-one with God as if as if you can't pray on an airplane. I, I've prayed on an airplane, and basically it comes down to this: you can't you can't make a spectacle of yourself on an airplane without somebody thinking you're a fool, which obviously if he started if he if he got up and started speaking to God uh, the, the way that he's talking about. Yeah, of course, people are going to think, you know, that's crazy. But I, I think that, you know, you, you're right. We we do a podcast, and it's very low budget. And we have maybe a 1,000 listeners here or there. And these guys have so much money, and they're the ones that are, are broadcasting what, what – you know, Christianity is across the, the, the television uh, to the nation. And it is just a gross misrepresentation. So we want to we go ahead and tackle that. Owen, the first thing that I think that we need to address is what is the gospel? And how does that just briefly compare to what the prosperity gospel is? So how would you, how would you basically define the gospel?
1: Well, I mean, isn't this the the question that evangelical theologians constantly ask each other over coffee at Starbucks? What is the gospel? Tell me the gospel. Um, I I think there are are multiple variations to say the same thing. If you just ask me that question right now, I would say the gospel is that uh, God became flesh in order to take on the penalty of sin and redeem a people to himself. That's what I would say. Now, that obviously contains uh, some words that might need Uh, definitions like for example redeemed Um, and so to flesh it out a little bit more uh, you you know if I were giving a gospel presentation to someone for example I would say you are a sinner you are at war with God Um, he is offering you a chance to come to peace Uh, you have to lay down your arms and believe in Christ and you will be restored into the kingdom of God Um, that's that's one way that I would put it what about you
0: I think a lot of people identify gospel as meaning good news, and so basically something historic has happened that is good news, and that is that God became a man, that he died on the cross uh, for your sins, that he lived the the perfect life, that he died on the cross, and the good news is, is that you were once his enemy, but now you are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so that would be the way that I would sum up the gospel. But when when we look at the prosperity gospel, the prosperity gospel is basically good news that is, is really not good news because it's not promised to you. And ultimately, the, the the news that the prosperity gospel puts forth really ultimately isn't even good news when one stops to think about it. But the prosperity gospel is basically... A distortion of the true gospel so whereas the gospel is good news you are reconciled to Christ through faith and there's tremendous hope in that and you have something to look forward to now whereas prior to prior to that you were a sinner under God's judgment you were a child of wrath well the the prosperity gospel basically comes in and replaces that good news with another good news, good news, God wants to give you something here on earth in exchange for you sowing a tithe or you giving money to this ministry. And this is why a lot of times we see the prosperity gospel. It's, it's uh, the prosperity health and wealth gospel. But the prosperity gospel appealing to uh, financial status and uh, health status so the lie basically is that god wants you to be healthy and god wants you to be uh he, he wants you to be healthy and he wants you to be wealthy and so when i look at when i look at uh, you know it's it's interesting because i recently uh talked about the roman catholics and i tried to answer the question are roman catholics saved and i answered it basically by saying no that they're not saved and that was uh i believe episode 18 so if you if you want to go back and check that out you definitely can I would encourage it but I'm reminded of uh, what actually started the Protestant Reformation and it was the issue over indulgences there was a a man by the name of uh, he was an archbishop of uh, Mainz, Albert of Brandenburg and he basically he literally bought his office and so he borrowed a huge sum of money from the bank uh, with Leo's uh, with Leo's authorization and began selling indulgences in Germany. Now Luther saw this, and as soon as he saw it, he basically became outraged, and this is what uh, led him to write the 95 thesis and and uh, which eventually sparked the Protestant Reformation. So Albert's chief salesman was John Johann Tetzel, who traveled from town to town selling forgiveness as if it were a sack of potatoes or a pair of shoes. Tetzel's catchy chant went like this, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul of purgatory springs. And so they were basically selling salvation. And, and I, I, think, I think back then it was people's desire was in the afterlife to, to not experience the, the, uh, the flames of purgatory. And that's, that's a, whole, a whole other Catholic issue that, that we need to get into. There is no purgatory. Um, it's something that the church invented. But to escape the either damnation in hell or the flames of purgatory, which were temporary, they sold indulgences. And so you, you could buy forgiveness. Well, nowadays, it's, it's sort of shifted into you know, God wants you to be healthy here on earth, He wants you to be wealthy. And so what these what these prosperity preachers do is they they tell you to sow a seed and a tithe, and basically you'll you'll reap back. Now in Acts chapter eight, this is I think where we have the first example of somebody trying to buy something from God. Because when you when you when you tithe and when you, you give your money to the church. Merely to get something back or because you think that you're sowing a a seed and you're going to reap a harvest. You're basically trying to buy something from God. So I want to take you to Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 20. It says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the hands of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Quote, Give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right with God. So the basic problem here was that this, this, uh, this individual Simon thought that he could purchase the gift of God. Now, whether it's salvation or some other temporal gift here on earth that is what the prosperity preachers are all about basically give us money sow into this ministry and you will you will receive a gift from god now i, I want you I, I if you ever get a chance to listen to guys like peter Popoff, that rank heretic listen to what they say they say sow a seed into this ministry and expect a gift from god that's basically what they're saying and we see that what Simon basically does is that Simon basically tells no, no. I'm sorry. So we see that what Peter does is that basic. Uh, he tells Simon, "May may your silver perish with you." And he's not saying, "May you may you perish with your silver," but he's he's basically recognizing that you're not saved and you're going to die. May your silver perish with you. I I think that. We need, we need to go back to recognizing that whether it's an eternal gift or whether it's a temporal gift, it doesn't matter. You cannot buy a gift from God. And if you just stop and think about that for two seconds, uh, you don't buy gifts. And so if salvation is a gift from God, as it says in uh, Ephesians 2, eight, if salvation is a gift from God, then we would say to the Roman Catholics... You can't earn this gift, so you can't work for it. Your, your, your good works are merely the product of your salvation. They're produced by your salvation. They're not uh, means by which you merit your salvation. And then we would tell the prosperity preachers, you can't buy this gift. You can't buy favor from God. And so, uh, Owen, did you did you have anything to add to that?
1: No, I mean, we'll we'll discuss more as it unfolds for sure.
0: All right, great. I want to ask this question, and and maybe we can tackle this together. Why is the prosperity gospel dangerous? And I was speaking to uh, a friend at church who came out of the prosperity movement, and she was still having a little bit of difficulty with reconciling the, I guess, why it was bad. Uh, seeing why it was bad. And one of the things that she, and I think it's funny because so many of us tend to do this. We we think that because it's positive, that it's therefore good. If it makes people feel good, if it if it's uplifting, if it's encouraging, then it's just automatically it's a shoe and it's good. And it it's you know it gets a pass. And so the problem that she was having was basically this. Well I think that these churches they want people to be encouraged and they want you know they they want people to leave the service feeling good about themselves and f- having hope that you know their circumstances are going to get better that life is going to get better and you is i had a very difficult time trying to tell her no this this prosperity gospel this this stuff that you are listening to is actually dangerous it's not it's not that it's not that Christians like, I want you to leave church feeling uplifted and, and I want you to feel, feel encouraged at the end of church. I don't want you to go away in, in, in sorrow, but there is a, is a time in church when it's okay to feel convicted. It's okay to feel bad because the, the, the gospel needs to be preached and you know, uh, the pastor needs to preach against sin. So, why is the prosperity gospel dangerous? You have any thoughts on that?
1: Absolutely, I do. Especially because the prosperity gospel has almost completely taken over Christianity, uh, overseas Christianity, in many parts of the world, including Eastern Europe, where I am right now. So the problem is reasons for why it's so appealing to to. To places like Eastern Europe, where people are poor, where people don't have any control over their lives, where they're at the whim of a government that just pushes them around and is irresponsible and, and has no accountability. This is a this is an interpretation that offers them some sense of hope uh, in not just spiritual things but material things that they currently lack right now. And that's the same reason that it's gained in popularity in Africa and in South America. Unfortunately, this is one of the main exports of American. And Anglo Christianity. So, why is it so dangerous? It's dangerous because uh, fa- it, it it undermines the foundation of the gospel, which is faith in Christ uh, brings a restored relationship to God. And then we read, if you read Scripture, you'll you'll see suffering everywhere, right? If um, uh, you will take up your cross daily and follow me, well, that's not like put your golden cross in your jet and fly around the world or um, they persecuted me, they'll persecute you, or Paul lists all of the sufferings that he went through in order to preach the gospel. And that's at odds with this version of the gospel, which says, believe in Jesus, and it's a decisional theology, it's always decisional, believe in Jesus, and he will give you everything that you need and then more. Your cup will overflow. You are more than a conqueror. Test God with the tithe, and he will pay you back uh, multiple, 10, 20, 30, 60, 100 times. And it takes people's eyes off of Christ and God and the work of redemption and instead sees the, what Christ purchased on the cross is material blessings and benefits. And that's fundamentally, that's 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 putting your faith in Jesus in a different thing. Like when we put our faith in Jesus, it's also you submit to him as lord like repentance repent menanoia, turn around change direction you turn from yourself and towards god but here you're not turning from yourself you're sort of taking a detour through god to get to yourself to get to the the better more prosperous happier uh, luxurious version of yourself it's not about denying yourself it's about pleasing yourself and it's very 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 tempting very enticing for people who live in poverty, which is one of the reasons that it spread so much in America, um, in the Pentecostal movement, specifically in the history of Pentecostalism. Uh, one of its strengths and one of the best things about it, it was in Christianity of the dispossessed, of the outcast. It was a movement of people outside of the church weren't accepted or didn't have the same social standing to be in the Episcopalian Church or the Methodist Church of that day. It's funny because the Methodist Church, at its origin, was also a movement of those outside and dispossessed um, by the Anglican Church. But that's the history of Pentecostalism, and you'll see that the movement takes place and takes root in... Poverty filled areas. And then that's sort of why Prosperity Gospel was able to piggyback on to Pentecostalism. Uh, They were both reaching the same people. And then it carries over here when we send our our missionaries um, and and the literature. For example, if you go to the bookstore here in Sofia, uh, downtown, there is um, (laughs) the entire bookstore is, is Prosperity Theology. They have a shelf for Creflo Dollar, they have a shelf for Benny Hinn, they have a shelf for. Joel Osteen, they have a shelf for uh, T.D. Jakes, Kenneth Hagan, Kenneth Copeland. These are the people who they're promoting. These are the books that are translated into Bulgarian. If you want a solid book, it's very difficult to find. I searched the entire bookstore. I found one book by R.C. Sproul, two books by uh, John Piper, and oddly enough, Calvin's Institutes, and that's it. Everything else was prosperity theology. And so if you're a new believer and you come to faith in an area where there is no historic church, right? Here, the the historic religion is orthodoxy, um, which has nothing to do with the people and the people know nothing about Christianity. Um, And so there is no no biblical teaching here. You have... you can only learn what's given to you. And here in this context, what's given to you is prosperity theology. And so the gospel to these people is if you have enough faith, you can speak your prosperity into existence. That is Christianity in this part of the world because that is not Christianity.
0: Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that we have to recognize is that um, those who are teaching prosperity, uh, the, the prosperity gospel— they are basically the fulfillment of a wolf in sheep's clothing uh, trying to prey on the uh, the people for their own gain and um, you know i'm reminded of the verse in uh, second timothy uh, verses four uh second tim uh first timothy chapter four verse three it says for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So really, really what's going on here, wh- one of the reasons I think it's so dangerous is that if you are in a church where you are being fed prosperity gospel, you are very likely, highly likely, to be sitting under a false teacher. A, a, somebody who I would say is a rank heretic, a wolf in sheep's clothing, who wants to prey on people for his own, his own temporal gain. The other, and, and so you have to ask, okay, so, so why do people, why are, why are people sitting under that, that teaching? Well, look at what the verse says. It says that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. The reason that Benny Hinn and, and all these all these rank heretics are are up there is because people want to hear it. People people want to be told that they can be rich if they have enough faith or if they give if they give ten dollars, they can give, get a hundred back. That sounds like a great investment deal. I don't know anybody if that investment deal was real, I don't know anybody who wouldn't take that. But the people accumulate for themselves. They prop them up. And so the other thing is, I mean, if if you're coming out of this or if you're if you're being awakened to this, that hey, this is if if the alarm is going off and and something is telling you, hey, this isn't right, my concern, and this is this is what I've seen. We have a, a huge prosperity church here in El Paso. And my what what I've seen is that. The people there, they don't know the gospel, but they think that they're the friend of Jesus, that you know, Jesus is their homeboy, and which is such an irreverent thing to say. But the people that I've talked to there, they do not know the gospel. And so my other concern is that these people are not actually Christians. They're false converts. They're people that go to the Lord because they don't desire him. They don't desire who uh, they don't desire to have a right relationship with God. They have no fear of God in them, but they go to the Lord because they want something in the here and now. They want something, uh, you know, they want a bigger bank account. They want a, a nicer car. They want a better status here in life. So, I think that the prosperity gospel produces false teachers. And it produces false converts. And the tragedy is that many people, I think, will die in this system believing that they have the favor of God. And, you know, one of the verses that I referenced in uh, when, when I talked about the Roman Catholics was Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And I, I just want to go to that real fast because in my other lecture, this is one of my, uh, I like this verse, but... I reference this as, hey, this is talking about Roman Catholics, this verse right here. But now I'm going to say, hey, this verse is actually also, it's also talking about people in the word of faith movement. It's talking about people in the prosperity movement. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name, and I will say to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, just turn on TBN, the the Christian broadcast news network, whatever it is, just turn it on. And half the shows, more than half the shows on there, have rank heretics casting out demons in Jesus' name. They have, uh, and that's not to say that that doesn't happen. Of course, I think that demon possession, it's, it happens, and I think that, that stuff is real. But these people are making a spectacle out of it, and fabricating events that I don't believe that are actually happening. And the other thing is that they prophesy in Jesus' name. They, uh, they do many mighty works in, in his name. You can look at Benny Hinn uh, waving his arm, and everybody falls down, and everybody's healed. And it's really funny because I think Dateline or one of those news agencies sent in a spy and pretended to to be healed, and he just made a spectacle and made a fool of himself. And so these are the types of teachers that these people are sitting under. If I were giving advice to anybody out there who is attending a, a church that is going to twist scripture and appeal to the flesh, I would say run get out of that church and, you know, see if you can take anybody with you when you go, because the church, I believe, is more than likely filled with false converts. Now, that's not to say, and I want want you to hear me, that's not to say that every person in there is lost or that they can't be saved. So, Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Of course they can be saved. The whole reason that we do this podcast and, and we do stuff like this and we, we, we preach the, the gospel is so that people will be saved out of these false, uh, the, these false ideologies, out of these false teachings. So um, let me see. Does that Owen, Do you think that kind of answers the question why we think that the prosperity gospel is dangerous? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally,
1: it, it does the opposite of what the gospel is supposed to do, and it turns you in on yourself. It's all about getting more things for yourself. And, you know, we're not proponents of the reverse, which is a, a poverty theology, that the idea that somehow if you're poor, you're more holy. We don't believe that. But the fundamental desire should not be to enrich yourself. That's not what Christ's sacrifice was about. For an example, I, hear, I heard a, a preacher come out, regular Sunday morning service, and this was the invocation. This was the call to prayer, the call to worship. He said, quote, God wants you healthy, he wants you wealthy, and he wants your relationships restored. I- I was in, I'm like, that's, that's the critique of you. I, you're not supposed to actually embrace that formulation. That's what people outside accuse you of believing. God wants you healthy, he wants you wealthy, and he wants your relationships restored. Okay, fine. What's the barrier to that? What's the barrier to that? If that's what God wants, why is it not happening? Well, the barrier to that is your faith, right? Well, then if you don't have enough faith, it's not going to happen. Or who knows what the devil's taking it away. I don't know, which makes God uh, not very powerful. But fundamentally, what, if that's the message that you're hearing, what happens 10, 15, 20 years later after you became a Christian so that God would fix all your problems? What happens is you fall away from the church. And you see that Christianity is a sham and you don't come back. And that's exactly what happened in Eastern Europe, in Russia, in Bulgaria. In the 1990s, after the Soviet Union fell, there was a wave of uh, revival, a wave of people going to public events, professing faith, making decisions, going to churches, going to camps. And almost none of those people are here now. Almost none. This is the new burned-over district. This place saw revival in the 90s, and it's gone. People tried it. It didn't work, and they've abandoned it. And now they want nothing to do with Christianity. Why? Because we're seen as a cult. People think that all Christians want to do is take your money away from you. Literally. Family members will warn other family members, don't go to church. It's a cult. They're going to take all your money away and separate you from the family. Why? Because that's what was preached and that's what was done. And the results of it have been catastrophic for the church and catastrophic for the gospel witness. Now, whenever I go anywhere, I'm automatically seen as a cultist who just wants to take their money away. That's it. And those people are way harder to reach than if they had never gone through the lie of. Uh, the prosperity gospel.
0: Yeah. One of the things that you, that you mentioned was that these people, once they hit hard times that they fall away. And I think that that, that's a really good, uh, really good point to bring up because I I basically said that the prosperity gospel produces uh, false believers, false, false converts, false brethren, people who think that they're saved and are actually not saved. And you have to really think about this. You really have to work through this because I I know that there's a lot of people who say, "Well, I was saved uh, in the prosperity movement." No, you weren't. You were saved in spite of it, and thank God for that. And I, I know some people who, you know, I was telling somebody, "Hey, don't listen to TD Jakes; he's bad." And somebody was like, "Well, I was saved in TD Jakes's church." it's like, well, no, you were saved not because of what T.D. Jakes was saying, but you were saved uh, in spite of what T.D. Jakes was saying. And uh, T.D. Jakes denies the Trinity. So if anybody out there is wondering why I'm saying that T.D. Jakes is bad, he denies the, the Trinity, um, and he is also a, a prosperity preacher. Uh, but y- both you and I agree that you can't lose your salvation. So what's happening when somebody falls away like you said they, they become disillusioned and, and I'm saying that they're that they're false converts in first john two nineteen it reads they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they were all not of us. So basically they leave the church and that's a manifestation of, the, or that, that's God revealing that, hey, they, they weren't Christian. And if they die in that state, then that's just further confirmation that, hey, these people who, who came to quote unquote Christ and became very disillusioned when they, their, their dreams and their hopes weren't met and they left the church and they left the faith and they now deny Christ, it's revealing, hey, they, they really weren't saved. Because if they were saved, they would have continued with us. And there was another. Uh, let me let me pull it out. There's another verse that. Um, uh,
1: well, while you're talking about that, I was I was converted in a charismatic context. I became Christian in a church in Russia that was charismatic, prosperity gospel, of course. And we had services were three hours long, and there were two sermons. The first sermon was about 20 to 30 minutes and it was always on money and it was before the tithe. It was some inspirational thing about some businessman, Andrew Carnegie, um, Ford, uh, Rockefeller, some famous titan of industry who got rich from nothing. And if you sow your seed and give your tithe, the same thing can happen to you that was the first sermon. every single time and then the 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 offering was collected and then we sang of course charismatic so you know three-hour service half of it was singing um, which I actually don't have a problem with at all and then the second sermon was on whatever the topic was of that you know particular thing but there was always two sermons and the first one was always on money and always on tithing and I was not there long enough fortunately for that to um, twist or corrupt my thinking, or, you know, it was, it was God's providence and, and protection that kept that from happening. And the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm more angry about are the teachers, because the people who go there, um, false converts, yeah, they were lied to. They were lied to by people who claimed Christ, by people who occupied the post of pastor. And because of that, they have rejected Christ without ever actually hearing the gospel. They have been lied to by those people, and that's what frustrates me more than the people who went, because they went to a church thinking that it was going to be, they talk about Jesus and God, and this is a church. This must be Christianity, but they were fooled intentionally, intentionally, and a lot of it is self-aggrandizement and uh, um, self-enrichment. Here's another example of a sermon here from Bulgaria. The sermon was, Jesus was not a carpenter. You all need to know that you have been lied to. That's a lie of the devil. If you believe that Jesus was a poor carpenter, you are, under the del- you are under a demonic delusion. The truth is that Jesus was a construction entrepreneur. Jesus owned a massive construction corporation in the first century. And if you want to be rich like Jesus was, then you need to know the truth about Jesus. Because when you look at a poor Jesus, you're bringing poverty on yourself. You need to look at the rich construction entrepreneur Jesus so that you can bring riches onto yourself. That was a sermon that I heard here.
0: You know, it's funny because uh, I think they all just basically teach the same garbage. I here in El Paso. I remember some guy telling me he, he he goes to this prosperity church, and he was telling me that Jesus was actually rich, and uh, his his pastor and I actually heard the sermon because I went and looked it up, and this was years ago. I want to say like maybe ten years ago, and it's it's pretty funny because in preparation for this show, I went into the the, the church's a uh, website and I, I tried to look for the sermon and. I mean, I was trying to find a needle in a haystack because I'm trying to remember, okay, I was at this place and, you know, what time of year was it? I mean, I just didn't find it. But I remember this because we had a big debate over this. And one of the things before I, I, I tell you what the verse is, I think that, you know, we, we always tout the, 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 the Berean example, to be Bereans because in Acts uh, 17 11 it says, uh, now these were more noble minded than those in Thessalonica for they eagerly took the teachings of Paul and tested it daily to find out if these things were so. And you know, we, we can, they basically took what Paul said and they, they looked in the scriptures to find out if this is so. And this is where it becomes kind of tricky because Satan, and I, I said this again in, in, in my Catholic episode, uh, Satan can quote the Bible. We, we know that. He, he quoted the, the passage from Psalms 91 to Jesus in the wilderness when he, uh, in the second temptation. So Satan can quote the Bible. But this pastor made a sermon based out of uh, 2 Corinthians 8-9, which, uh, which reads in the English Standard Version. So you know the grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that he was rich. Yet for your sake became poor so that by his poverty, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So this pastor built this whole sermon basically saying that Jesus was, was rich in heaven and on earth, but that he gave that up and went to the cross so that you could become rich. And, and the riches that he was talking about was material wealth. It was, it was just a complete twisting of the scripture. And that, uh, that's basically what, what we see these prosperity teachers doing all the time. They, they, they have their Bibles. I mean, we started the episode with, with Kenneth Copeland and Jesse Duplantis talking about their need for private jets because they can't do what Acts eight says. To, to go into all the world, they can't do that with, without their jets. I mean, gee whiz, what have we been doing for the, the last 2,000 years? you know And, and oh and it, it, I find it I think that would probably upset you as a missionary because you as a missionary, I, I mean I've heard stories of missionaries walking to places to get to people, going through jungles to get to people. And these, these guys think that they need, uh, you know, I think um, Creflo Dollar basically asked for uh, his congregation or some some people to, to pay for a, like a $60 million jet. And these guys think that they need a jet to do the, the Lord's work, but they always twist scripture in order to support their, their heretical views. Now, there was, uh, there was something else I was going to ask you that, that you said that I thought was really good, but I kind of forgot what it was. So, Well,
1: I'll give you a chance to think. Another uh, thing that they'll point to to prove that Jesus was rich is the fact that the centurions cast Lot over his garments. Why would they want his clothing if he was poor, right? It, well, It must oh. have been because they were very, 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 very nice garments.
0: I never thought of that.
1: Yeah, and the corollary not only did jesus take our poverty on himself so that we might have his riches but matthew 8 um he took our illnesses and bore our diseases which is of course referenced back to isaiah so on the cross he literally took our physical diseases so that we wouldn't be sick and that's why you can speak cancer out of your body or your cold or whatever it is that's why kenneth copeland can take dominion over ebola um but that's not what that verse is talking about. And this is not to say that we don't, you always have to do this caveat. We, it, we believe that God heals. We believe that there is divine miraculous hea- healing. We don't disagree with that. But that's not what that verse is talking about. That verse is talking about our sin and our iniquity uh, in the eyes of a holy God. And it's using the Old Testament comparison of disease to do that. And so it's a verse taken and twisted. And this is, this is the case with almost all lies, right? It's a little bit of truth and a lot of deception, because it's easy to tell an outright lie, uh, well, to tell that it's a lie. It's hard when there's truth mixed into it. And so, for example, when he talks about his private jet, and they say, oh, we need this. We need this in order to go to those places so that those people can hear the gospel. Uh, Well, it's true that in the past, and, and currently today, there are places where having a plane... Is beneficial because the only way to get to them would be by long uh, travels on foot or by sled or by uh, snowmobile um, even in America in Alaska it is very beneficial to have a plane there are a lot of places that are not reachable um, certainly not easily accessible without a plane and that's not just true in, in Alaska it's true in many parts of South America uh, Africa, Asia, in Russia, it's still true to this day. It's a massive country. There are tribes that, that native groups that live in places that that don't don't have roads there, um, especially in winter that are inaccessible. Although some places are actually more accessible in winter. Separate issue. So there is truth in the fact that a plane can be beneficial to reaching. Certain groups of people, but I'm sorry, you do not need a private jet to go to New Orleans, Boston, Chicago, and Dallas. That is patently absurd. And anytime that you do, say you do, and also these guys are not flying to a village in the bush, they're flying to Kinshasa, they're flying to Nairobi. They're flying to, to major cities where there's airports. They don't need a private jet to do that. You can do it by commercial. And let's say, for the sake of argument, that they really are going to these remote places, which I don't believe they are, but maybe I'm wrong on that, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They are. You can charter a plane. You don't need to buy. And first of all, your jet's not going to land on some ramshackle uh, airstrip <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere, right? It's not. You're still going to have to charter uh, a prop plane or a smaller plane to get into a place. And so it's a horrible misuse of the ministry but remember for them also the fact that they're rich is a proof is a testimony of their ministry the fact that they can afford a private jet proves the faithfulness of god and so if they were to fly coach that would prove that god isn't really faithful or that they're not faithful so it's all tied up together in this twisted twisted mess yes i do know missionaries who suffer to get to the people that they want to serve while these guys are out there lying about their private jets
0: yeah it is offensive. okay so i remembered what i wanted to ask you but uh i think that you said something really important was that the truth is oftentimes embedded in a lie and i've used this example and i just want to throw this out there for people to think about when when uh, th- an assassin wanted to poison royalty wanted to poison a king right Wh- what does he do does he does he go up and, and tell him to drink a uh, Uh, a bottle with black liquid that you know looks like tar that has a skull and crossbones on it is that what he does no he inserts it into a fine looking meal and so from the outskirts it looks like hey this meal is scrumptious it's delicious it's it's wholesome it's healthy but embedded within that is a is a poison that will destroy you and that's analogous to what happens with false teaching. On the outskirts, it's almost like cotton candy uh, theology. It, it looks delicious, it tastes delicious, but there's a poison within it that will will lead you astray. That that will that will prevent you from seeing the the, the true light of the gospel. So, Owen, you said something that I wanted to ask you about. You said, you said that you were saved in a, in a charismatic. I think you said Pentecostal, and. You said that you weren't in there for very long, but that God took you out of there. Did you ever think, well, I was saved, you know, did you, because earlier I referenced, you know, that people say, well, there's nothing wrong with it because I was saved in that and therefore that must be good. Did you ever have to wrestle with that?
1: No, not at all. Um, They obviously, they taught some true things, some good things. And I still, there, there are believers there. There are people that I love there. But I, you don't have, I mean, if something's false, you don't have to de- defend it because you came to a knowledge of the truth there. What is the verse? Um, there are people who are falsely preaching Christ or preaching for gain or just to, to put the other apostles to shame. But, you know, praise God that the gospel is being preached. Well, praise God that the gospel is in some way, shape or form being preached there. Or they point you to the book that talks about it.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, all right. So I want to ask this question and we can tackle this because we we've, we've basically said that these these guys are preaching a false gospel they're 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 heretics they're out for their own gain and within these churches this this gospel will produce false converts and within these churches are many not everybody like like you said not everybody in there is a false convert uh thankfully the 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 elements of the gospel that are true that are preached are reaching the people that uh, like you that are being saved. But uh, the question that I want to ask is, does does God promise that you will be wealthy or does he promise that you will be healthy? Is that is that a promise within scripture that somebody can can point to and say, well, I thought that God wants us to be healthy. And the verse that I'm thinking about that, people go to most often is John, I think it's John ten ten, where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So the question is because, and this, this is what the prosperity preachers will say is that, well, God wants you to be healthy. That's his desire for you, but that something is getting in the way. It's either the devil or it's your lack of faith or it's your lack of tithing. You haven't sown a seed into the ministry that they have so let's go ahead and tackle that do you think that God promises wealth and health and does God desire that you would be healthy and wealthy
1: no God does not promise that and then does God in does God desire well this this gets into a a deeper theological concept the fact that there are sort of two wills of God a a decretive will uh, and a Preceptive will or or a hidden will and a revealed will and so there's a certain sense that yeah God desires wholeness for us and that wholeness primarily comes through our restored relationship with God uh, through Christ and this is also you may hear in other conversations the already but not yet So this is a partial fulfillment of what will be finally fulfilled at the eschaton uh, at, at the end at the restoration of all things we will be healthy uh, we will be wealthy, wealthy in the sense that we won't have any needs. Um, everything, everything, is need. Everything is met right now through Christ um, at, at the core and at its essence. And that doesn't mean that we don't have wants, because we clearly do. Um, just the fact that we all die proves that we're not healthy, and we never will be fully healthy uh, in this life. But. When all things are made new, we will be healthy and we will be wealthy and our relationships will be restored. We're just not promised that right now in this life.
0: I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, I think the first question uh, that we have to answer is, you know, does God desire for you to be uh, wealthy and healthy? Uh, in a lot of circumstances, the answer would be no, because God either has a purpose in your suffering. Or God uh, knows that wealth is a great stumbling block to people. And the other, the other question—I think you did a really good job in answering. Uh, you know, does does God promise that to us? Uh, and I want to—I want to read. Um, I want to read something from uh, Randy Alcorn's book titled "Money, Possessions, and Eternity." But the New Testament goes one step further. It demonstrates not only that the righteous may suffer despite their righteousness, but will often suffer precisely because of their righteousness. Quote, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Second Timothy 3.12. The early Christians consistently suffered for their faith, and they were assured that, quote, your brothers throughout the, throughout the world undergoing the same kind of suffering first Peter 5 9 so the the Bible actually doesn't promise that we'll have a a happy and healthy life the Bible actually promises that because of Christ you are probably going to suffer in some way and I'm I'm reminded of uh, of Paul's suffering and in 2nd Corinthians 12 verses uh, seven through nine, it says, Paul writes, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should be, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the so that the power of christ may rest upon me so one of the significant things i think about this passage is that paul is suffering and paul prays three times now paul doesn't name it he doesn't claim it he doesn't attribute his his lack of his suffering to you know i haven't sown a seed into the ministry i haven't it's not a lack of faith. He recognizes that God has a purpose for him in this suffering. and the, the purpose is to to magnify the grace of God so that Paul can say God's grace is is completely sufficient that that's all he needs. and and at the end of that, so that he would be uh, so that he would glory in Christ. So I think I think that pretty much answers that question
1: well okay. so you asked about so here's a verse that's very commonly cited and part of the problem is um translation so it's called prosperity theology or the the prosperity gospel well the reason the word prosper is in the bible it's just like uh you can't really say you don't believe in predestination the word predestin is in the Bible so you have to believe something about it right well the word prosper is in the Bible and that's where they're able to take it from so Jeremiah 29 11, in the NIV says this for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future now this is a pretty typical verse for discernment people to go to because this is a very common verse that's given out as a promise of God to you this is a promise of God to everyone uh, some may limit that to, to, to believers um, But this is God saying I have a plan to prosper you and not to harm you I have a plan to give you hope and a future That that's not a promise to you and in fact It wasn't even a promise to the people that it was written to in the way that we take it as a, as a promise today This was given to Israel who had just gone into captivity. They're not going to be released immediately They're still going to have to wait decades to be released. This is God saying to the people of Israel, I am not cutting you right now. I will restore you. Um, There is hope. There is a future. I have a plan to prosper you. And we know that ultimately that plan comes to its fruition through Jesus Christ and continues on to this day until the final eschaton, until the end, until the restoration. That is not a verse about you prospering materially. And physically but unfortunately it's easy to take it that way when you just take that little verse out and put it on something that's the way that we've been taught to read the Bible by and large across evangelicalism part of it is because of our evangelicalism's pietistic heritage the heritage that we have which is a good heritage of personal devotion personal relationship with Christ personal holiness personal walk in 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 the faith devotional reading of the text of scripture it's unfortunately that has laid fertile ground for verses like this to be twisted and taken out of context
0: it is amazing how they twist these passages uh just one after another they take they take a passage and basically say this is about you And, and you know it's funny because uh that that verse that you read that is all over refrigerators in America that verse is a bumper stickers and what you just pointed out is it's it's that it was written to a specific group of people in a specific context and what they do is they just mangle and twist God's word for their own gain so I let me ask this question then because we've been downcasting riches and and I know some some very wealthy people that are Christian does does the Bible say that riches that that rich people can't get into heaven? Um, does the the Bible teach that they they won't get into heaven that, that, uh, because we have the example of, uh, Jesus and the rich man, the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler comes to him and, and Jesus says, uh, and I, I believe it's in Luke 18. I can look it up real fast. But uh, he comes to him and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically gives him a list of the Ten Commandments. And then at the end, he tells him, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. And it says that the, the rich young ruler went away, very sad because he had many he had uh, many riches. And uh, if you want to go ahead and look this up, it is uh, in uh, Luke 18, starting in verses 18. Um, so I'm not gonna read that. I think you know I basically gave the, the gist of, of it. And then you also have uh Lazarus and the rich man. Uh Lazarus goes to heaven and the rich man goes to hell. Um so it seems there's there's a pretty strong warning against riches in the Bible. And I'm I'm gonna need your help with, with this one because we were talking before uh we started recording, and I realized that. I probably have one of the Bible verses uh, uh, completely mangled in my own thinking and, and so I'm going to need your help in identifying what the what the passage is talking about but the passage is uh, let me let me go ahead and look it up um, Matthew 19 verse 24 let me let me go ahead and read this because I think that probably my my understanding of this uh is is probably wrong jesus says uh and again um, it reads and again i say unto you it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of god so the way that i understood that owen was that the needle was a gate and that it was through great trial that the camel would have to pass through this gate the camel would have to get on its knees and uh, and it was with great difficulty, and so that this passage is basically saying uh, that the 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 rich man, it's with great difficulty that the rich man gets into heaven. Um, and and we were talking a little bit about that, and you were telling me that 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 my understanding on that was was wrong. So uh, l- let me hear your thoughts on that, on basically any of the stuff that I've just said.
1: Sure, uh, this is. Uh, obviously, it's a difficult subject. Anytime we talk about money, especially in a country like America, where in general we are wealthy and like our wealth. Um, I mean, who doesn't like your wealth, though? That's just the general human condition. That's not an indictment of Americans. We all, everyone wants to be rich, it's to be comfortable. It's natural. So, this particular verse in this context, unfortunately, that interpretation is a lie. It is completely false. And it is primarily used by the prosperity movement to to talk about. So this is one of the most damning indictments of riches in the scriptures. And as you pointed out, there there are more than one indictments against against riches uh, that come from the mouth of Jesus. And because this is such a commonly known one, and because it's been used throughout church history, it's one that the prosperity gospel has to militate against very strongly um, whenever you are, well, w- whenever you go to war, you try to pit your forces against your enemy's weaknesses in general, right? I mean, that's, you want to, you want to, you want to hit them where they're most vulnerable and, and get the war over with before they're able to maneuver their strongest weapon force unit against you. Uh, and if you can't yeah, do like, that, then you
0: have, like, uh, ooh. Like like uh when you when you pick a fight and it's it's you, you're like in a gang, uh people have just told me this. I've never been in a gang but it's like you take out the biggest biggest guy first, uh, and is that what you're kind of saying that, that's going on here? Well
1: yeah, if you can't stop the fight, if you can't win before the big guy gets involved, then yeah, you got to take the big guy out. You got You have to disable your enemy's strongest. Attack. If you watch sports, for example, Bill Belichick, the New England Patriots, he tends to game plan against his opponent's strength. And so, if you're playing against uh, a team that has a strong uh, running back roster, you're going to make sure you stack the box and you take that out so that your enemy is forced to rely on their weakness. And their weakness isn't very strong. That's the whole point. Um, so, there, a war analogy and a sports analogy. Could I get any more uh, chauvinistic <laughs> in my choices? Um, <laughs> and now, continue. <laughs> So the prosperity gospel has to deal with this text because it's going to be brought to bear on anyone who claims that you should be rich and that God wants you to be rich. The way that they do it is by using a story that is completely unfounded in archaeology and in history. There is no evidence that there was a gate called the eye of the needle. This is a claim that's been circulating for a while, but picked up particular steam with the advent of the prosperity gospel because of how easily it fits into the narrative. They get to say, no, 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 no. Jesus isn't saying it's impossible for rich people to go to. He's just saying it's difficult. You have to unburden yourself. You have to get down penitent on your knees before God, just like the camel has to get down on his knees to squeeze through this gate. There is no historical evidence for that. In fact, I would point you to, and we'll link it in the show notes, there's a great article, Grace To You has it. If you just Google GTY, which is Grace To You, Eye of the Needle, uh, I believe it's the first article that, that, that pops up, Frequently Abused Versus. It goes through, it's a, it's a good example of showing how this is, that is an incorrect. Not only is that... Um, Not a good interpretation. It's it's a false interpretation now just one more piece of evidence to that by the way Um the quran uses the same expression the camel and the eye of the needle and this isn't to say that the the quran is inspired This is to say that six centuries after jesus used this phrase um, Someone who's reappropriating the text of scripture. This is how they understood it. So, uh surah seven verse 740 Indeed, those who deny our verses and are arrogant toward them, the gates of heaven will not be opened for them, nor will they enter paradise until a camel enters into the eye of a needle. And thus do we recompense the criminals. So what's it saying there? It's saying that the enemies of Allah will never enter paradise. It's not saying that they will enter paradise when the camel gets down on his knees and goes through the gate of the needle. They understood this in the context, historical and cultural and religious, of the period closest to the text th- we understood that this phrase means exactly what it says it means you cannot get a camel through through the eye of a needle no matter how big the needle is i mean that has to be a ridiculous needle so, it's impossible yeah.
0: okay so so let me ask you a question i i need some some clarity here because you obviously know a lot more about this passage than than i do um does this does this mean that rich people can't get into heaven
1: no, it does not and as you know The best way to deal with verses taken out of context is to just read the next verse or the verse that comes before it and so here uh, Again, I tell you this is Matthew 19 starting at 24 again I tell you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God When the disciples heard this they were greatly astonished saying who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said with man. This is impossible but with God, all things are possible. Now, what do we see here? We see the the theological context of the day was richness and prosperity equals favor and blessing. If you are rich and prosperous, it is because God favors you and is blessing you. And so if even the people that God favors can't get into heaven, how can anyone get into heaven? And the reverse of that was also true. If you were sick, if you were poor, that was a sign of God's curse on your life, God's disfavor on your life. Well, the New Testament actually takes that narrative and flips it around on its head. And Jesus talks about, we hear in the Beatitudes, for example, let's go to Luke, uh, Luke 6, 20. uh, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil, on account of the son of man. Now you can say that there's a that that's largely a spiritual dimension, those who are poor in spirit, those who are hungry, meaning hungry for the word of God. And that's true, but it's uh, the physicality of it is also true. And I'll bring that to bear in a moment, right after we hear Jesus's woes. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. That's talking about rich people now, because they have their comfort. Uh, Woe to you who are full now for you shall be hungry woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep woe to you When all people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets So what we see here is that there is a clear reversal of the historical understanding of poverty being a curse and riches being a blessing And if you look at the reality of it, I've seen this in my life I'm sure you've seen it in yours We see it uh, in, in in the wider view of Christianity. Those who are materially well off, those who are rich, those who are prosperous, those who are comfortable, tend to not be particularly interested in spiritual things because they don't need it. They're comfortable. Life is good. Life is okay. Why do you need anything else? It. It tends to be the case that when people are not in a materially satisfied place, that they that they are more likely to go seeking for God and spiritual truth. Um, when your physical needs are met, you just don't tend to care about that. Um, I've certainly seen that's one of the reasons we believe that God brings suffering in, in into people's lives, um, is as a means to bring them to himself. I've certainly seen that in my life. I don't want it. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to... Have to worry about money. I don't want to have to worry about food or or clothing or housing. Who, who wants to worry about that? But there's just something about the way that we're made that when we're satisfied materially, we tend to not care about the spiritual. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says it's impossible for rich people to get into heaven. Really, it's impossible for all people to get into heaven, right? We understand that all have <laughs> sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. We are all poor and broken. Um, but with God, it is possible that even the rich, and yes, even you can enter into the kingdom of God. That's the proper interpretation of this passage. And it does, it does play on a certain aspect of riches that lead to uh, a spiritual dullness, and then also flipping that theological understanding that riches meant you were blessed.
0: Well, thank you. That was outstanding. I learned a lot from you right now. Um, I think that I, well, I know that I had a misunderstanding of, of that verse because I was trying to reconcile basically everything that you just said. <laughs> and uh, so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the guy who does Memento Mori, The Walking Dead, he knows his Bible. So, <laughs> um, so we are, we are, uh, we're going to wrap this up now. And I just want to leave everybody with this with this thought. Owen, oh, I think you would agree with me that we are not against tithing. We absolutely think that you should tithe. And I have a confession to make. I have been very bad this year with my tithing. We moved to churches and I've not been tithing because I, I skip Sundays because of work and I go on Wednesday nights and I just I I need to I need to start tithing faithfully. So I I believe that that is. I I believe that that's huge. I believe that's a big part of living out the Christian life because there are uh, there are churches that will use that money responsibly, and I'm very grateful for the pastor that that I have at at the church that I have, and I know that he's he's in full time ministry. So we are not against tithing. We believe that uh, that there's. There's a biblical command to tithe. And the question comes up, well, how much should you tithe? I think the principle is about 10% uh, of, of your earnings. Uh, but the the Bible does, I, I, and I might be wrong on this, but I don't believe that the Bible commands you how much, but it commands you that you should tithe. So you can give more than 10%. And uh, when you're in need, uh, I believe that the church should you know help you out but so you agree with me that 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 we should tithe we're not trying to say that you shouldn't tithe but the the what we're getting at is that you shouldn't tithe as a means of sowing a seed to gain a or to gain something from god that's exactly the opposite of Uh, the right motive in tithing you you would agree with that right well let me
1: yeah i would clarify i actually don't like to to use the word tithe because it's specifically an old testament word that refers to the old testament uh the structure of the government of israel and the maintenance of the temple and the idea that gets twisted, for example, from this verse in Malachi, Malachi 3:10, "Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test," says the Lord of hosts, "If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need." That's another common verse that's used by prosperity teachers to talk about the tithe. Now, I believe that we are we are to give sacrificially, and so I hey, would. Hey, let me to use ask you a
0: question. Did yeah. you just go New Covenant theology on me?
1: Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> no, I did not.
0: Okay. Um, okay. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So, uh, you,
1: you, we are you, you committed.
0: Did, sorry. Go okay. for it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we could talk, that would be a great topic to bring up if, uh, people who held the new covenant were actually willing to engage their opponents. Uh, it oh, would be fantastic. No. If they didn't, if like, oh. if like Michael Brown, they didn't call us unworthy, uh, uh and, um, whatever. Oof. So right. we're, we're over it all right yeah uh so here's here's the thing we are called to give sacrificially there's no there's no question about that but as to a legalistic determining of the amount of money that's to be given um uh that's that's a that's a that's a personal subject fundamentally between between one and god there can be a communal aspect of it if you're in relationship with someone who 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 sees this and can can address this whether whether good or not it's a it's a sensitive subject i don't uh I personally would not use the word tithe, like I said, because of those connotations, particularly uh, in American prosperity theology, but we are definitely called to give sacrificially and and to take care of, to bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters. That is absolutely uh, a, a, an obligation of a Christian. And I just said obligation. Does that mean we're obligated? Yeah, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I certainly appreciate that. Um, I use tithe because that's the common vernacular. Of the day, and just and I get are, that. I yeah. get that. I'm fine with that. So, I, I want to leave everybody with this that we are to be content in whatever situation that we are in, whatever situation that we are facing. And the passage that I want to uh, point you to is in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Paul says, But when I had gain, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Paul, another translation, uh, it, it says "I count all these things as dung or, or rubbish. But that, I think, is where we want to be as Christians. That we, w- When somebody tells you the prosperity gospel, that you would be able to look at all of the things that they're promising and, and say, you know what, I count all of these things as loss. I count all of these things as rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Because there is my, is my treasure in heaven, knowing Christ, having a rela- relationship with God, and being reconciled to my heavenly Father. So, Owen, did you have any other thoughts to wrap this up before we go?
1: No, it's a very important subject. It uh, permeates much of evangelical Christianity in America and most of evangelical Christianity outside of America. It's important. Many of us came from this. Many of us have friends and family members in it. Uh, It it has the potential to seriously uh, deter people from the true gospel, and so we need to know about it. We need to relate uh, the true gospel to to our friends and family and sometimes fellow church members in in kindness, love, and, and grace.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's going to be it for us today then. Uh, Owen, thank you for joining us, or thank you for coming on. Uh, We'll hopefully have Carlos uh, come on again. And with that, I just want to say I hope that you have a blessed week. I hope uh, that whatever situation that you're facing, that you will find Christ in the midst of that situation. So we will check you next week, and goodbye.